Philippians chapter 3. So, is Katie in the room? Good. She was whining to me earlier. <laughs> Not really whining, but she was saying, you know, um, we're running out of room in my Bible in the book of Philippians. I can't, I don't have any other place to write anything in the margins anymore. And, that, and I understand that because as we started this series, I had no idea where God was taking us with it. Um, but never before, as I've studied the book of Philippians, have so many layers, deeper and deeper and deeper layers and meetings and applications ever come to the surface before. To the place where, um, to be quite honestly, I... Um, as I was preparing this week, I had so many insights that God has given me. I, I'm going, I, God, I really don't know which ones to choose. And even as I was preparing this morning, there's so, there's so much depth of insight that God is providing that applies so much to our world these days that, um, that I, I'm, I, I'm in a bit, I feel a little bit disoriented, just to be honest with you. Um, because usually in a message, I know exactly where I want us to go, where I want us to end up, you know, I have, and how we're going to get there in this message. I'm going, okay, God, this one's yours. So take us where you want us to go and apply it. And so I want, I want to pray again because this is about God. It's not about me. It's not about, um, you, it, it really is about God and what He wants to do in us and through us on, in serving Him in this world. That's why He left us here. And so, Lord, we give this to You. It's Your truth. It's Your Word. Um, and I give You praise for what You're opening up for me and for others that's coming from Your heart and Your mind and Your will. Um, and so God, just bring to the surface what each person needs to hear today and apply it to our lives in ways that you know will equip us and prepare us to be the people of God at home, at work, in the world, whatever you want us to do. God, I pray that you would zero in on those places we need to surrender. Um, convict us of those places where we're holding back accomplish exceedingly more than we could ever ask or imagine. On this celebration of Pentecost Day, Lord, Holy Spirit, just do what you want to do with power. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, let's, let's read through this passage from verse 12 through the first verse of chapter 4. It'll be familiar if you've been with us because we've been looking at these particular verses quite a bit. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already made perfect. Does anybody need a Bible, by the way? We've got some extra Bibles back there. We can, okay, everybody good? Not that I've already obtained this or already been or am already perfect, and there he's referring previously to his choice to count all things as lost because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You see, it's the Holy Spirit revealing. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Last week, I gave you an analogy of endurance. And so um, you see in your outline there, um, we talked about enduring all the way home and home being that traveling from where we are in this life to Jesus. So Jesus is the goal. Heaven is where is the, the term that we use for what that will be. But the goal is Jesus. And so um, we talked about that it's traveling from here to Jesus in a, in, in a focused, persevering, lifelong journey that is more a life-threatening obstacle course than it is a marathon. And so the analogy that we used was imagining that you have been born as a U.S. citizen in the southern tip of Argentina. Your parents were raised in Pittsburgh. And so your home was more Pittsburgh than Argentina. Because they were always talking about pierogies and the pirates. Well, not the pirates. The Steelers. They were talking about home. They were talking about their culture. And so your home was more Pittsburgh than it is Argentina. And then in this um, analogy, in this picture, we said there's a worldwide crisis in which everything was shut down. No trains, no planes, no cars, nothing. And um, all the people who didn't belong in Argentina were told to go back home. You didn't know how you were going to get there because your parents were off on a business trip when all of this occurred. And then one day, a guy, a grizzled old old guy came to you with nine other travelers and said, I'll take you to Pittsburgh. He handed you a manual, which in the analogy would be the Bible, on how this is going to work, how we're going to relate to each other, and how you need to stay in step with him. And he gave you this promise, I will get you there. I guarantee I will get you there if you'll do what I tell you to do and you walk in step with me. And we talked about how the trip would be hard. It would be long. There was no um, guarantee of, of an ending time. Don't know where you're going to get your supplies. But all you have is the instructions to go, get from the southern tip of Argentina 
the Pittsburgh by following this guide. And, and so last week it was about endurance. This, this life from here until the day that we die is this journey. It's a hard journey. And so we talked about living with a laser-like focus on Christ. Recognize that it's more obstacle course with enemies than it is a marathon. Listen, obey, apply, persevere God's instructions, face difficulties. That was all the stuff that we talked about last time. And now I had to choose what we were going to talk about next. And my sense is there were two things. One was first some reality checks. And this, this has gotten strong over the last months. Um, as we think about life, as we think about this journey. So the, the, in this analogy, this journey that we're on is, this, is our lives from now until eternity. So some reality checks. First reality check is that life is short and then we die. Life is short and then we die. Um, and we get reminders of this oftentimes, but if you're like me, it's hard to really grasp it or to believe it because this is our point of reference, right? And our tendency is to think, well, you know, yeah, you say life is short, but I know this person that's 102 years old and they're still going strong. But 100 years is, not, 100 years is long compared to our lives, right? That feels like a long time. But compared to all of time, it's just a dot. And compared to all eternity, it's not even that. This existence that we have. And so no matter how long it takes us to get from southern Argentina to Pittsburgh, that's short compared to the eternity of home. Life is short. So in order to really get us to believe that, or maybe get it fixed in our minds or something, um, I put some scriptures in here. Some, I, a couple that I want you to look at, so you're going to have to flip open in your Bibles to Psalms. But before we get there, a couple of, um, and I gave you the references so you can go back. Job chapter 8, verse 9. For we are, uh, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing. For our days on earth are a shadow. Our days on earth. Why? Because the contrast is not with other people. The contrast is with eternity. And so this life is a shadow. It's just, it's just a vapor. Um, in Job chapter 14, it says, Man who is born of woman is, uh, is few of days and full of trouble. There you go. I guess he didn't go to Dale Carnegie's, Carnegie's course and how to win friends and influence people, because that's not good news that we think. Full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Life is short, and then we die. Psalm 39, open your Bible there to verses 4 to 7. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. I think that's a prayer that we need to pray periodically. We need to be reminded that this life is short. That really this is, this is fleeting. 
Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. It's just a, not very long. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Why? Because he's eternal. We're just a dot. There are days when we think we are important. There are days when we think we are significant. There are, but life is short and we're just a moment. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, a vapor, just a breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. For nothing. In other words, why are you worried about something that's not going to last? Don't worry. Don't, don't be in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. There's a reality check. When you're gone, you can't take it with you. Somebody has said, you'll never see a U-Haul being pulled by a, her- by a hearse. Right? Because we don't take it. We worry about all of this stuff, and when we die, it's gone. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is, say it with me, in you. Ecclesiastes 6.12. If you ever want a depressing book of the Bible, read that. Until <laughs> you get to the last chapter or so. For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. And then James 4.13-15. If you think this is just Old Testament before the Holy Spirit came, well, here's in the New Testament. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will... Go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Anybody want to say amen? Amen. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Um, How many times in our lives have we been going along just fine? And then we get a phone call. And it turns our lives upside down. Or we go to a, a, a doctor's appointment when we think it's just a checkup and suddenly... We're facing difficult things. Or there's a financial collapse. Or We don't know. We don't know. We think we know when we need, to, uh, we need to be responsible. He says, what is life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And, and listen to me. That can feel like a bad thing, but it's just a reality check. He's not being negative. He's just saying... Here's a reminder. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Yeah, because we're surrendering, we're listening, and obeying. It's not that we don't ever make any plans, but we submit them to Him. And then 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Psalm 144, verses 3 and 4. O Lord, what is man that you regard him? And, 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 and sometimes this is my heart. God, why in the world would you bother with us? Not because of anything good in us, right? But because he is love and he loves us. The, w- there's nothing we can deserve or earn from God. It's because he loves us. Or the son of man that you think of him. Man is a, like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And then finally, Psalm 103 If you turn your Bible there to verse 13. (laughs) 
Psalm 103, verses 13 to 18 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's the anchor. As a father who shows compassion to his children, that's our father. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that we're dust. He knows that life is short. He knows that it's just, we're just a moment in the scheme of history and even less in eternity. And yet he values us enough to send his only son. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're temporary. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, it is gone. And its place knows it no more. Most of us, a couple of generations from now, people are not going to be thinking about us. Right? But we'll be in the presence of God if we're serving Him now. Right? And we won't care that we're forgotten. Because we'll be enjoying all that God offers more than we can even imagine. Which is why we have to endure this trip. Which is why we go back to last week and we say, I'm going to keep my eye on the guide. I'm going to open this manual and memorize it so that I can live the way he wants me to live because eternity's worth it. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Life is short and then we die. Life, that's just reality. It's a reality check. It's not negative. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just, we got to remember that. Second reality check. Death is the doorway to either destruction or to heaven. It's the choice. The reality check is that death is not the problem. Death is a doorway. The human culture views death as bad because they view it as the end, right? So they, you know, if you're, if you're not serving God, if you're not buying into eternity, then death is the end, and you don't want it to end. And, and I remember when I was younger, all these um, reports coming out about cryogenics and rich people that were freezing themselves so that when they could get healed of the disease, they could come back to life. And, and it, because they're trying to hold on to this life, because that's what they believe is in. And, and in affluent societies like ours, we as who claim the name of Christ can also buy into that attitude that death is bad. But death is simply a doorway. Philippians, so flip back over to Philippians. I want to look at a couple of scriptures there. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. Philippians chapter 3, 18 to 20. For many of whom I have told you now and told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And I, I, again, I, every time I read that, I'm impressed that Paul is not angry, but my, he's not as much angry as he is sad over those people who know the truth and are not following it. Our hearts should break for lost people rather than being angry with them or judging them or being glad that someday God's going to judge them. He's saying these are people, 
in the, that are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are living and teaching against, but his heart is breaking for them. And he says, their end is destruction. So that's one destination through the doorway of death. People who do not follow Christ end in destruction. It's a doorway. It's just a doorway. They're continuing on the path that they're, they're taking now. They're away from God. They're not connected with God. They're distant from God. And so the doorway is just an eternity of being away from God and, and destruction. But he says, um, and then he goes on, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we await, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The doorway for those who are following Christ is an eternity in heaven with Jesus. So death is a doorway. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's a doorway. Now, here's what makes it hard. It's easier to be a Christ follower who's walking through the door than to be left behind here. That's what makes it hard, right? That's what makes it so painful. Because sometimes the death of a loved one creates such a gap in our lives or, or, or wreaks havoc in people's lives that it's just really, really hard. In addition to the sadness and all of that. And so we have to be, be careful that we don't um, allow things that are hard to be considered bad. Because as some preacher has said along the way, hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. So it's a doorway. And then finally, the last reality check is that heaven is beyond description better, but living for it is hard. Heaven is beyond description better than here. But because we don't have the point of reference. I think, it, it, I think Paul had an, an advantage because um, we find in some of his letters he talks about being uh, raised to the third heaven and getting a glimpse of how good it was. And I just wonder if we ever could get a glimpse of that. Maybe that would be easier. But God, is, God knows. He, he, he it probably just blow all the circuits and we just come back as mummies or something. But if we, could, if we could just really believe what the Bible says about the joy of heaven, uh, of what God has promised to us, it would make it, it, it would give us that motivation that we need to live for it. Because the destination is eternity, but the doorway to get there is death. Heaven is beyond description better, but it's hard living for it. So we have to allow God to walk us through the hard and deliver on his Roman 8.28 promises. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 21. So in verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We may take a whole sermon to come back to that. 
But I think the, the, the reality check is a recognition of all that we read about after Jesus was resurrected, his resurrected body, his glorified body. Here it's saying that when, um, when he returns by the power that he has, he will transform our lowly bodies, these humble bodies, these human bodies that we have to be like his glorified body. Amen. That's just one of the, the, the uh, things to look forward to in heaven. So maybe the fact that these bodies break down and sometimes cause pain and difficulty and struggle is an opportunity for us to take that as a cue to say, ah, in heaven, my body's not going to have that. I'm, not, I'm going to be able to eat anything I want <laughs> and not gain any weight. I'm going to be able to I, I do glorify body in perfection. That's what we're looking for. Death is the doorway to that. But heaven is so much better. And I, we, we as Christ followers need a good theology, practical theology of death. So that when a Christ follower dies, we grieve well, but we celebrate right? And, and honestly, I mean, aren't there days when you wish, why couldn't I have gone and that other person stayed? I mean, really, there are just days that when it's really hard and it'd be nice to be in heaven, but that's what we rely on God. <laughs> and then some days we go, why can't you take that person? We're, re we're, we're ready. I mean, So those are some reality checks that I sense are important for us about this life and about death. So now let's go back to this endurance journey that's an obstacle course with an enemy trying to take us out. We, there are some shifts that we need to make. Shifts that we need to make as we follow Christ all the way home. And so as we continue to look at Philippians chapter 3. The first shift is from doing what feels good to doing what God says. From doing what feels good to doing what God says. So if we go back to the picture of traveling from Argentina, our responsibility is to follow the guide's instructions, is to obey the guide and follow the manual. That's our instructions. Now, do you suppose, because you got this grizzled old guide who knows what he's doing, he's made the trip back and forth, he's in shape, but the other, ten, the other nine people along with you that are traveling along with them are city people. And you've not traveled this, and you don't know what you're doing, and you don't know where you're going. I, do you think uh, it would take very long on that trip for you to come to a place where this doesn't feel good? I think it would be, easy. instead of climbing this mountain, there's a path around this way. Wouldn't it, I would just rather take this path instead of climbing the mountain. The, the guide says we have to climb the mountain. And then you start, you know, spreading that with the other travelers. You go, this is not, this, this is so hard. This doesn't feel good. And the fruit over there looks a whole lot better than the stuff that he's given us. I think we ought to go over there and eat that fruit. How long do you think it would take to have those kind of conversations? 15 minutes. 
Yeah, it wouldn't take long because our default is what we like. What feels good? What tastes good? Right? And so that's our default. That's because of the sin nature that we inherited from the first. Our nature, our default is what... And so that's why in the, in the 60s, the saying got very popular. If it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. Why should we restrict ourselves? Why should we deny ourselves? Because if it feels good, that sh- then we should do it. The shift, and, and even for those who didn't give themselves fully to that, the natural tendency is if it feels good, you do it. And so we have to make a 180 degree shift, turning ourselves, or allowing, as we follow God, allowing him to turn us right side up in this whole idea of, instead of, if it feels good, do it. If God says it, do it. Amen. So what is it that God says? This is about our motivation. So what is our motivation? Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 19. He says, for their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. As you read that, did you, you wonder, what in the world is he talking about? He's talking about what they hunger for, what they desire. So they eat what they want to eat. They do what they want to do. Driven by the pleasure, driven by the feelings. And they refuse to deny themselves. We have to make the shift from that. So as he says, their God is their belly. That was all of us at one time. Right? And only as we follow him do we shift to what is it that God wants. Philippians chapter 3, Look, at, jump up to verse 8. And we go back to what Paul has previously said. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. When Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was the top of his vocation, he, was a, he, was, he had stature, he had wealth. Do you suppose when he went to the marketplace and he was able to buy extravagant things that it felt good? Absolutely. Do you think when he could hire the best transportation from one place to another, it felt good? Absolutely. When he could go to the nicest restaurants and not even have to look at the price on the menu, do you think that felt good? Absolutely. So when he says, I count everything as lost, it's not that it was bad. It's that it wasn't of God. And so he says, I count all that as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered. I have experienced discomfort. I have experienced denial um, and and bad feelings, bad things because of the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. But then down in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his home. And so it's this shift as we're on this trip from Argentina to Pittsburgh of looking at uh, those other things, being tempted by them and saying, okay, no, I'll follow the guide. And then the next day, having the same experience. I, I'd rather, this looks easier. Why don't we go this way? No, we're going up the mountain. Okay, I'll follow the guide. I'll follow the guide. And then, and then there will be days when you just get so frustrated. You're so tired. You're so hungry. You're so at the end of yourself. You're, you're frustrated with the other nine people you're traveling with. And, and you just want it, you want it to be better and better to eat. And you want it to be easier. And you have to t- suck it up and say, okay. <sighs> 
I'll still choose God. It's not easy to follow Christ. That's why he said, deny ourselves. Say no to ourselves in order to say yes to him. This is one of the big issues in any affluent culture and the Christ followers in that affluent culture. Because we're, we're, we're cooking, we're stewing in the culture and don't realize some of the ways that God is saying no. So my question of application to you is, are there places where God is saying you need to do this, but you're holding on to other things that are easier or that are more pleasurable or that don't cost as much. Because if we're saying no to God, to things that we, because we like them, then we're wandering off the path. You got real quiet right about then. Number two, the second shift is from living for ourselves to living for Christ. This is another hard one. Hard in that uh, we could probably spend a whole message on it. Look at uh, Philippians 3.19 again. The third phrase in that verse is, they glory in their shame. So those who are, who are living as enemies of the cross of Christ, they glory in their shame. In other words, the very things they should be ashamed of, they are proud of. The very things that they're ashamed of, they are proud of. (sighs) We live in a culture and in a world right now where people are taking partial truths or truths of the word and are applying it Um, in partial ways. In other words, truths like this, God loves everyone, so we should love everyone. True, right? We should love everyone. But then it's um, twisted. Because now loving everyone means accepting what they do. And we've got a whole lot of church denominations and, and people who are calling themselves Christ followers who are now buying into that fault, that half-truth that we should love people, we should love everyone, and now they're adopting it. Well, that means we accept everyone. And, and, and using... I got, I got a message this, this week about a group of people who are trying to petition affirmation with the sexual stuff. And, they're, and what bothered me the most is they're taking scripture and twisting it and saying that if we don't love, if, if we don't affirm and accept people as they are, then we don't love them. And now this, this phrase, they glory in their shame, the very thing that they should be ashamed of, of turning their back on Christ, turning their their, their allegiance away from Christ in order to follow um, a sinful path and then justifying it with Scripture. It just broke my heart. 
But are there ways in our lives where we're doing the same thing? And that's where we won't know unless we spend enough time with God to have Him reveal it to us. They glory in their shame. The very thing that they should be ashamed of, they're actually proud of. If you go to verse 14, we see Paul's attitude toward this. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not looking down here to see how I can figure it out. I'm looking up to see what God says. And that's where I get my values. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So he's saying there, there are times when we don't agree on things. There are times when, um, but we need to seek God for clarification. We need to seek God to see what, the, what he really says. And, and he's not going to tell one person the opposite of another. So we need to seek God. We need to get back to his truth. Because we, a part of what this, this glory and their shame is, they're, they, they are so proud that they think that they can figure it out. They know. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. He says, but, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, but, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of Christ. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There, there, we have no uh, reason to be proud of anything in our lives except for Christ, right? There's nothing good in us. I mean, we, can, we have natural abilities and talents and all that, but the only reason we have those is because God created us. We were born with them. We came in this world with, we could have come in as a rock and had no abilities, right? So God, uh, the only, we have no reason to boast in anything except the cross of Christ. So living from our, uh, the shift is from living for ourselves and our ideas and our thoughts to living for Christ. Now, is it true that we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Love our neighbors as ourselves? Um, but is it, is it also true that we have to let God define what love is? So we love everybody, right? Everybody. But we challenge everybody to live in obedience to God. That's it. Does that make sense? I know I'm talking about things that I have not really headed towards, but I, we're going to have to deal with how do we love? How do we love? How do we love as a light of Christ, with tears in our eyes for those who are lost. All right, number three. Third shift, from focusing on earthly to focusing on heavenly. This is about what gets our attention, what we think about, what we focus on, what we allow to fill our minds. Philippians 3.19, with mindset on earthly things. 
mindset on earthly things. So their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, with mindset on earthly things. But in verse in uh, so chapter uh, yeah verse twenty and twenty one, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is, I think, one of the most subtle strategies of the enemy, and this might be the most important one for us. What is it that occupies your mind? In your waking hours, what has your attention? Because the reality is whatever we allow to occupy our minds sets the trajectory from where our minds will go. And I, I, I think I'm getting more sensitive to this because um, one, of, one, of, one of the things I like to do is walk and while I'm walking, listen to books. And I've noticed that um, when I'm listening to certain um, you know, mysteries or history kinds of stuff, um, that just aren't, aren't horrible, but they just kind of had a wrong values and wrong trajectory and wrong kind of conversations. And, and I spent 12 hours listening to that. I can sense myself being pulled away from the values of Christ. It's not that they're horrible. It's just wherever our mind is, that's where our our, our being is going to go. The old garbage in, garbage out. What we think about is... And so in the next chapter, he's going to be talking very practically about what are you supposed to be putting in your mind? What are you supposed to be putting in your heart? I think one of the challenges, again, for a group of Christ followers in an affluent society is what we pay attention to. What we spend the quantity of time allowing in, in our minds and where it will head us. Um, so I've been reading a set of books by an author named Lynn Austin. Know nothing about her, um, but it's a five-volume uh, set of books about the time period of King Hezekiah of Judah in the Old Testament. It's historical fiction and... Um, Hezekiah was one of the few good kings. And so it's, it's, a, it's about the history of the Assyrians coming and God intervening. Hezekiah, king Hezekiah's um, son who takes over the throne is Manasseh, who is one of the worst kings. And in this historical fiction, and it's just based on pure projection, she portrays Manasseh as getting sidetracked because he didn't take the time to really know the Torah when he was growing up. He was arrogant, he was proud, and so along comes somebody who is an idol worshiper, and this, this, this idol worshiper, priest of an idol worship temple, um, comes along and uses half-truths from the Torah and twists them to get Manasseh to make bad decisions, which eventually leads him down the road to idol worship and child sacrifice and all kinds of other things. 
And my question to us is, do we know the Word of God well enough that we won't get sucked into half-truths and lies that will cause us to go the wrong trajectory? We will if we're spending more time listening to things that send our minds in the wrong trajectory than the right one. So my challenge to you is, God, working on you to stop paying attention to some things in order to pay attention to his things. They don't have to be bad. But what trajectory are they sending? So those are the shifts. We can take care of that this afternoon, can't we? (laughs) Or all the way from Argentina to Pittsburgh. Full, total effort and energy to do what God says and deny our selfish desires, to live for Christ and turn away from anything that does not align with Christ and to focus our minds on God's things and turn away from anything that would um, distract us. Would you bow your heads? This is a serious, this has been just a serious message. And I'm not exactly sure why I sense God leading us this way today. But he does, he knows. And maybe it's your life. There's something in your life that he's getting his finger on and he's pushing you to make some shifts. I know there are in mine. He's identifying some things for me. The question is, are you willing? Because this is hard. So in this moment, I challenge you to say, okay, God, I will. Or just be honest and say, nope, I'm not doing it. Lord, we want to be yours. But sometimes not enough. I pray, God, that today you would do whatever it takes to cause us to to surrender more deeply and listen more carefully and follow more obediently. Whatever it takes, God to make us your people, your army, your family who loves people in ways that we didn't even think we could and who shine as we shine a light and and cause people to see you. I pray that you would guide each one of us as we go through this week to um, process this with you. God reveal reveal it and give us the courage and the strength to obey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.